start off this week, just kind of uh, two stories for you. Um, number one, you know, as, as, I, as I think of the World Cup, today as we wrap up our, our, uh, our series, our foundation series, kind of walking through RBC's doctrine statement of, of what we believe here, uh, today we're going to be talking about eschatology or what we believe is, is, will happen at the end times, right? And um, as we are talking about uh, eschatology, as we're talking about the end times, uh, I may, it got me thinking about the World Cup this week, okay? So I can tell you in a game, I was watching with Tony Pedroni and a few other people who all lived in Croatia, Croatia versus Brazil. And they were going kind of nuts. It was kind of fun. Um, but uh, I can tell you that Croatia beat Brazil in the game, right? There's a simple fact. Croatia won. Croatia, victor, right? Now, there's a whole bunch of like other story behind that. And like, you know, Brazil scored first, but later get, you know, in overtime, well, they, they were tied 0-0 going on to extra time. And then uh, Brazil scores, and then just with like a minute left, to, uh, you know, Croatia gets the equalizers, they go to penalties, and Brazil chokes in penalties, and Croatia actually knows how to kick penalty shots. They went, like, there's a whole bunch of other, like, details. You could watch the replay of it. There's, there's a lot of, like, story that is out there on it, and all, and all the soccer games uh, that have happened over the last few weeks. There's a lot. But the key detail, at the end of the day, is who won? Croatia. Like, I know the winner. I know, I know the way the story is going to end. There could be a whole bunch of mess. There could be drama in the back and forth. All this stuff in between. But we know what happens at the end. And in the same way, as we are talking about eschatology today, as we're talking about end times events, there is one key point I want you to know from everything we talk about today. It's really intense it's really complex, could be a little confusing. Actually, it's not. God wins. That's it. That's the key point. When all is said and done, God wins. Now, there's a whole bunch of story that we're going to look at that, could, that I believe is happening between now and then. But when all is said and done, we know how the story ends. God wins. And the whole story, the narrative of the entire Bible, going from one end of the Bible to the other end, tells this story of, of how God created something perfect. Mankind has messed it up. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, to redeem us. And he's going to take it back to that perfection. Because he wins in the end. And, and my prayer for us is as, we're talking about, as we're talking about this stuff, as we're thinking about God wins, I, I pray that we're not going to just be like, okay, cool, that's nice. But that we would realize how this truth that God wins, I believe should affect us every single day. You know, just, just this past Wednesday night, being real with you, okay, um, some, some tough things came out on Wednesday night. Um, has nothing to do with you guys. Um, some tough things came out on Wednesday night. One of the, I guess, challenges of, of being a pastor is, is you're with some people in the really great moments, but also in some of the really hard moments. And I found out some junk had happened to someone I really cared about. And, it was, and I, just, I, I, was, I was done with small groups Wednesday night, and, and uh, I, no, both Noah and Todd Fredericks came up to me, and they were like, Aaron, something's, 
you're not right. Like, I just, I was tired. I was worn from it. I was really just kind of, ooh, kind of want to punch. I had a mixture of like, I want to punch something and I want to cry, okay? And, and uh, you know, I, I talked with them for a while. And anyway, the next morning, um, I was, I woke up and I was just preparing uh, for, preparing more for this message and just thinking about this truth that God wins. Yes, there was mess in his, I, still a little uppity about it. Um, it just listening at people's pain and the mess and it, it hurts, right? But this peace that came over me of like, look, yes, there is mess in this world, but we serve a God who redeems, who restores, who knows all things, who is making all things new. He will make it right. And there's just that peace that came from it. And that's my prayer in my heart as, as we're looking at this today, that it's not just some like academic exercise about what this passage says and how does it compare with that passage. and this, you know, But that we would, we would understand this truth. That God wins, and I should have a peace and a hope today because of, because of that. We are, again, we're wrapping up our, our foundation series, and in, in the heart of our entire series uh, is, is that, man. Hey, as, as we're going through the different areas of life, we understand what the foundation is of what we believe. We've been going through RBC's doctrine statement, and if you're ever like, what does RBC's doctrine statement say again? If you go to restinbible.org and you click on this thing that says about, there's this tab that says what we believe, and it's all right there, Every, you know, kind of a... Uh, every week we've been kind of walking through different elements of RBC's doctrine statement. You can look at it if you're ever curious and want, to, want a little refresher about it. Today in particular, uh, as we talk about end time stuff, our doctrine statement says about Jesus, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, his virgin birth, his sinful life, his sacrificial atoning death for our sins, his bodily resurrection, and his personal, literal, imminent return. Now, You'll notice from our doctrine statement, all our doctrine statement, uh, you know, there's a paragraphs and paragraphs about a whole bunch of other things. All that our doctrine statement says about the end times, uh, there's the other section on Satan that I talked about a few weeks ago that Satan loses, God wins, and we believe that Jesus will actually return, okay? Um, now, if you have, if you've heard anything about eschatology before, looked at any of this before, you will, re you will know that there are thousands of other like ideas, articles out there about, do you believe this, that, and the next thing, um, and this, this view, and that view, and the next view, and we'll talk about a few of those today. There's a lot of debate out there, um, but as a church, I want to just affirm that what we believe is Jesus is coming back, and God wins. A lot of other debate on kind of some of those details, but we believe those are the core uh, of the core truths of what we know uh, is going to happen in the future. And regardless if you hold one view or another view, as long as those things are true, that uh, is what uh, we, we are all uh, about. And again, our, my heart and our prayer is as we are diving in today that we would see that God wins and that we would know regardless of, of kind of whatever we're going through, that we would have a hope, a peace, a foundation uh, that's, that is in uh, God's truth uh, and God's word. Anyone 
I'm, I'm here. Anyone remember the theme verse of breakthrough? Come on. Theme verse of breakthrough? Yes. 724. Okay, you got the right numbers, wrong order. Matthew 724. Anyone remember what it says? Come on, come on, come on. Anyone remember what it's even about? Come on. How many times? Okay, yes. Listen, apply, build. Hey, that is written. Anyone know what the verse is about? Okay, there you go. That's it. Okay, it's Jesus, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, it says here, I'll just give you a piece of candy because your hand's up, because I'm just going to say, he who hears these words of mine and acts upon them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the waves came and the storm came and the wind came and the rain came and blew against that house, it stood firm. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. And then puts the contrast with the foolish guy who builds his house on the sand, wind and the waves and all that mess comes, and that house falls, and great was his fall. And again, our prayer for this entire, season, this entire series, as we've been looking at what is it as a church that we believe, what do we think Scripture really tells us, or some of the core truths, that they would be a foundation for your life. And regardless of whatever storm, wind, wave, issues, problems come, we would stand because we remember our key point for today is what? God wins. Whoops. There we go. God wins. Okay, cool. Um, let me pray, and then we are going to dive into God's word together. Uh, God in heaven, um, I again just, I come before you grateful and thankful for the opportunity we have to be here uh, together today. And God, I thank you for this truth that you win. God, there could be, there's probably going to be a whole bunch of mess between now and then in our lives and in this world. But we are confident in that. And so God, may your word, uh, may your truth, may your victory give us hope, peace, joy, and life today. God, I, I feel like there's a million things I could say today. So give me, uh, give me wisdom and insight uh, to, to share your word effectively for your name, for your honor, and your glory. In your sons to me pray, amen. Okay. So to start us off today, I'm actually going to start with the end in mind, and then we're going to work our way a little bit backwards, okay? So we're, we're starting the end. In Revelation 21, uh, it says this, and this is only going to just be a little glimpse. I feel like the book of Revelation says just a little glimpse of, of heaven and what we know, uh, uh, how the story finally ends. And it says this in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Basically, the world we're in now uh, it will you know, be consumed by fire, destroyed. There's now a new heaven, a new earth, and I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. When Jesus says before he leaves his disciples, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you and receive you into my house. So he, Jesus is gone. He has prepared this new city uh, for for us, right? And he's, we read in verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. You, there's this great city for us. 
Um, and then we see this very close personal relationship God wants to have with us. They'll be his people. I, I'm, I'm dwelling with them. I'm, he's not distant and he's not far off. He's there available to talk to. And I got a lot of questions for him, but he's like, hey, I'm there. Let's hang out. Uh, is the way it's described. In verse four, uh, it says this, he will wipe, this is a popular verse, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall be there mourning or crying or pain, nor the former things have passed away. And you notice the absolutes here in this, in this verse. Every tear, not just a lot of tears, most tears, every tear, doesn't say death will be an occasional thing. It says death will be no more. That's just a crazy, mind-blowing truth. All the pain, the mess, the issues, the problems. We all have to face them. We all deal with them. And God says he's doing a totally new work. That stuff is gone. Verse 5, it says, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Praise God. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, Omega, the beginning, the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring uh, of the water of life without payment. Um, anyone else think of a verse in the Bible where someone said something was completed? Ex- like throughout, it, it, it's done? Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, Jesus, crucified on the cross. He says, it is finished in a similar way. He's like, man, the mess. Jesus saying, it's finished. I paid for all your sins. They're dealt with. The, the, his, his payment, done, completed. The same way God is like, dude, all the mess of before is done. And now uh, he continues, and there's a, a lot more about the city. We read this. Um, the city lies four square. Its length is the same as width. And, it's, uh, and he measured the city with a rod, 12,000 stadia, which is about 1,500 miles. And its length and its width and its height are equal. He measured the wall, 144 cubits, 216 feet. That's kind of the thickness of the wall by human measured, which is also an angel's measurement. Okay. So there's this city, and the city is a cube 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. What exactly that looks like, that just seems crazy. Um, But there's a massive city. This, again, Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare the dwelling place for you, and I'll I'll, I'll receive you into my house. He's got a big house. You know, where he says, hey, there's, there's many rooms in the mansion, many, a lot of place, a lot of space for you. That is a huge, huge city. It's like half the size of the United States, right? The United States is like 3,000 miles. Anyway, big, gigantic. Okay. Um, uh, continuing, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates were made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was, was pure gold, like transparent glass. This is where you get the term pearly gates, streets of gold, uh, streets of gold from, as it's described. I, do, I'm not, I don't think John is, uh, John is trying to do his best to describe what he sees, right? Was it an actual pearl? Don't know. Um, Again, I think John is just like, I see something, kind of looks like that shade. That's what uh, I am going to uh, write down. 
And then uh, in chapter 22, no longer will there be anything accursed. In, in opposition to what we t- see in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve's sin, where is there a curse upon mankind and the earth? Nothing's cursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Um, so so God, is, God is here, he's with us. There's this new personal relationship we have with God. And then finally, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is, uh, this is what we were supposed to do at creation. We kind of messed it up. God makes it right uh, again. And, and again, as I said, this is just, I think, a glimpse that we have of heaven. We don't know all the details uh, of heaven um, but I hope you see from this, it, it does seem very physical. It's not just like we're on clouds playing harps or anything like that. Um, I also hope you see just the close personal relationship God has with us and the perfection as, as sin is removed, as pain is removed, um, as just the, the effects of the curse are gone. Um, there's a lot more that we could talk about, about heaven in, in the future, but I just, I want to I want us to start off with that. I want us to start off with the end um, because what do I want us to know today? Hey, God wins. Okay, you got you, we're, we're getting there, okay? God wins. And this eternity in heaven, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this, what is described here isn't just a, I hope this will happen, maybe it'll happen, will really kind of cool that it would happen, but it's a certainty that God says that we can know for certain that we will spend an eternity with him in heaven, not because I'm awesome or have done anything good, but because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what's going to happen between where I'm at today and the picture we just saw in heaven from Revelation 21? There's a lot of debate about that. Um, a couple of just kind of key terms for you just to kind of help frame it and help you understand some of that. Uh, first of all, the word eschatology, Greek word eschatos just means last. Um, ology, study of, you got your biology and all that other sort of, you know, you know what I'm talking about, biologies. Okay, okay. So it just literally means the study of last things. Not really that complicated of a word. Study uh, of last things. But we read in uh, Revelation 20, a chapter before what I was just reading, we read this, okay? And this, this is referenced a few times in Revelation 20. It says, Then I saw the thrones, and seated on them were those who the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and not received the mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And in chapter 20 of Revelation, there's multiple references to this, this thousand-year period uh, of, uh, of, of God's reign here on earth before he creates uh, a new heaven, uh, a new heaven, and a new earth. And so there's a lot of different views of what that means, um, a lot of you know, different interpretations uh, out there. But what do we know that happens? God wins. Okay, good. Okay, now, um, I'm going to just kind of quickly give you kind of an overview of some of the, the major views trying to explain this, uh, and then we're going to look at uh, a bunch of different passages uh, of Scripture. Okay, um, 
any, every one of these views have kind of like their sub-views and little n- nuances to them. I'm, this is like a high-level uh, overview of it, okay? Now, the, the premillennialism, premillennial view uh, is, you know, you see Jesus' first coming. You know, this happened at, you know, around, you know, he died on the cross around 33 AD time frame. You were right here now. Uh, But there's going to come a tribulation, some period of great persecution, total mess uh, in our world. Uh, But then Jesus is going to return. Then this millennial kingdom that he he talks about, uh, that we just read about, will happen. And then finally, uh, the the dead will rise and there'll be kind of this final last judgment uh, of all mankind. Okay? and now, again, there's a lot of uh, sub-views uh, that are there, like, is there a rapture? Uh, rapture is just like this, if you've ever seen the movies like Left Behind or anything like that or read those books, uh, uh, or where, you know, just everyone who's a Christian just suddenly disappears, okay? Um, goes into heaven. And then there's all the different views of like, well, in this tribulation, it talks about an antichrist. Like, who's that antichrist? Is it Putin or is it... You know, anyway, I'm not even going to mention other people because it just gets kind of crazy. Um, and then, then there's a, the debates of like, like in the millennial, how are people saved? And there's a lot of, if you talk about dispensationalism, there's a lot of like sub points in there. Anyway, we're not going to get into that. Okay, pre-millennial view that there's basically uh, a big tribulation, then Jesus comes back and another uh, and um, this millennial rule. There's a view called post-millennialism, uh, which basically says um, that some event happened. We're not exactly sure what event, depending on your view. There's a lot of different people have different views and that of what happened. Um, and now we are in this millennial kingdom uh, of God. Uh, this was, to be honest, most popular between the 1600s and the... Uh, right around World War II time frame, right? You had the Protestant Reformation, and a lot of the Protestant Reformation was like looking at the, the, the you know, all the bad, bad stuff in Revelation of the beast and all that, and we're like, oh, this is Rome, this is the Pope, this is all this sort of stuff. Now we got rid of him, and, and now we're starting this millennial, millennial reign. We've got our technology coming up. Um, everything is looking really, really good. Uh, Martin Luther has his 95 thesis. We, you know, we're going, we have missions going out into all the world telling people about Jesus. You know, Europe is the millennial kingdom. And then World War I and World War II happened. And people were like, hmm, this doesn't seem like a millennial kingdom anymore. Anyway, there's a bunch of other views that are, are that uh, other ways that people look at this. But basically the thought is, hey, we're in the millennial kingdom. Something has initiated it and we're in it. Okay. Then uh, finally, uh, there's a view on millennialism. Basically, this whole millennial kingdom and the bulk of the book of Revelation is uh, some sort of symbolism. Uh, there's this, yeah, a symbolic kingdom uh, because God now dwells within us, right? He, he dwells in us, and that is what all of Revelation uh, is talking about. And there's, again, there's a lot of different subviews on this based on whether or not you think. Uh, the kind of the, the tribulation was all when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. Um, go on for a lot of a lot of a uh, lot of time uh, on this. Uh, why it's called amillennialism, and you guys sh- should should get this. Uh, the prefix a means without or lacking. That's why you have amusement. Amusement means without thought. Uh, anemic. 
Uh, if your blood is anemic, it's without oxygen. Uh, atheist, uh, without God. Uh, fun chemistry fact, because I, I need to have my chemistry fact of the day for you. Um, Adam. Anyone know what the word Adam literally means? Huh? It literally means without division. It means it's, it, you can't divide it. They believed Adam was the smallest thing. It couldn't be uh, divided. So here we go. So that's why you've got the pre, the post, and the ah, millennialism, okay? Pre, so we're before it, we're post it, or we're, you know, I. There's not really uh, it. Those are kind of the three, uh, three different views out there, okay? Now, what's our key point? God wins. Because you know at the end, there's still the last judgment. Jesus returns in all of them. There's still the last judgment in all of them. Kind of the, the, the end game that we already talked about is the same in all of them, okay? It's a matter of how do we get from, a, from where we are now to that. Now, at your tables real quick. Just want you to turn at your tables uh, and answer these two questions. When you think of heaven, what comes to your mind? What do you think it'll be like? Okay. And what do you think the coolest part of heaven will be? Okay. Three minutes. Go. I, uh, I wanted us to, to talk about that. And think about those questions, because I, I do want us to dream. I do want us to think about, uh, I want us to think about the end in mind, right? Because we do that in a lot of other areas of our lives, right? Uh, you know, I, I see several of you uh, back uh, from college that you're here today. You're in school. You're in university. Uh, you're studying. Why? Because you want to get that degree. You're putting yourself through some pain and some challenges now so that you will have a better future, right? Um, I suffer through, you know, why do you go through the gym? Because why do you go to the gym? Uh, because you're on your sports team and you want to perform better at it. And that end goal in mind of, of winning that game, winning the, winning the title, the, you know, so I, I suffer a little bit now because I have this end goal in mind. In the same way, I think the Bible is calling us to remember this end goal that is out there. This eternity that God has for us, that we are back in a place that God has created us to be, uh, to be in, okay? So we're going to very quickly go through what I think are some of the key texts that, that talk about, uh, that kind of lay a foundation for what we expect, uh, what we can, can expect uh, in the future. And we're going to start, surprisingly, not surprisingly, in Genesis. And in Genesis 15, um, God is making this promise uh, to Abraham, okay? And he says this in Genesis 15, and these are several, uh, several different sections of Genesis that God makes these promises to Abram, um, but I'm just going to read one. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, who will become Abraham, saying to your offspring, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenzanites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gershites, and the Jebusites. Okay? So here God is saying, hey, Abram, uh, your descendants will physically possess this piece of land that goes from basically the Nile to the Euphrates. Um, the land of, of all these people. And what you see here 
Uh, And what you see in so many of the promises of the Old Testament, whether it's the Davidic covenant or the new covenant in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, whatever, whatever these big promises from God, there does seem to be something about it that seems very physical about God's a physical kingdom uh, coming here uh, of, of God, coming here uh, on earth. Um, and, um, and, and I'll say this is probably one of the greatest strengths of the premillennial argument um, that, you know, if, if, if I was holding an amillennial view, uh, that would say, hey, well, there's just a figurative kingdom. But so many places in, throughout scripture seem to imply this very physical kingdom. Uh, or you look at passages like uh, Romans no, uh, 9 to 11, where they're kind of, they're all talking about how God is kind of ignoring Israel or has put off the nation of Israel for a time period so that the gospel would go out to all the Gentiles. And then in the end times, he's going to come back uh, and, and you're going to see a mass, uh, mass uh, group of, of uh, revival amongst the Israelites. And this is what we read about in the book of Revelation. Um, and, and so, uh, again, so many of God's promises in, uh, to the nation of Israel, to his people, seem very physical. And so that's why a lot of people would hold uh, to a premillennial uh, argument. Um, on the flip side, according to the book of Hebrews, Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. If you read Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews, many, many things that are physical, you see how there's a greater uh, spiritual uh, emphasis. Um, and so I'm not saying that this argument from Genesis or other places are, are slam dunk, um, but I do believe heaven itself will be way more physical than we believe. It's not just harps and clouds and all that sort of stuff. Um, another huge book of prophecy uh, in the Old Testament, collection of prophecy in the Old Testament, is the book of Daniel. Okay? And in Daniel, there's a whole series of different prophecies. Most of Daniel's prophecies focus on the period from about 600 B.C. to about 150 B.C. Um, and they give just some very exact details. Shoot, especially the prophecies in Daniel 11 tell like king after king after king of the, the Ptolemyan and Seleucid empires um, that will kind of reign and have fight over Jerusalem in the 333 B.C. to the like 160 B.C. era, right? So there's tons of very clear prophecies. Um, but three of them uh, are very, very similar and line up in Daniel 2, 7, and, and 8. Uh, if you remember the the golden statue, Nebuchadnezzar calls all his peeps together and is like, anyone remember what Nebuchadnezzar says to his, all of his advisors? Well, there is the worship of the statue. That's a different one uh, where uh, Rakshak and Benny refuse to bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've got to throw in the VeggieTales reference. But... Uh, when it, when it comes, this is a crazy one where he goes and, he's, and he's, he tells all his advisors, I want you to tell me my dream and then interpret it, which is just insane, right? I mean, I don't know about what you dreamed about last night, but I, you, you wouldn't, I wouldn't even have the faintest clue to guess when someone says, you'll never guess what I dreamed about. You're right, I never will, because why would I put together that you were riding on a chicken through the streets of Manhattan, right? Like, it didn't really just make any sense. So he has this dream about this statue, and Daniel interprets it, uh, and, and it talks about future kingdoms that are coming, but then it eventually talks about 
uh, a divine kingdom or the, a final period of, of great tribulation uh, and then a divine, uh, a divine kingdom, okay? And one of the other big things I want you to know about the book of Daniel is there are tons of parallels between the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. There are so, so many similarities uh, between them. Um, in uh, Daniel chapter 7, uh, we read this. Thus he said, as, this is an angel kind of interpreting this beast. As to the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. Okay, there's going to be this final beast uh, that's going to mess with everyone. Okay, as for the ten horns out of this kingdom, uh, ten kings shall arise and another shall rise out of them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down the three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think uh, to change the times and the laws and this shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. A times, times, and half a time means three and a half. Time is one, times is two, half a time, half, three and a half. Okay, there's a lot of other things about a three and a half year period that we read uh, throughout Daniel and Revelation. But this ten horns thing. Now, uh, this ten horns, ten kings, then comes one king, one king to rule them all. Um, uh, and, but then we see a big theme that we see over and over in Scripture. But the court shall sin in judgment, and its dominion shall be taken away, and it shall be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints most high, and his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all domains shall serve and obey him. What's the point? God wins. Okay, cool. We got this. But now we're looking at the book of Revelation. And we see, read this in Revelation 17. And the ten horns you saw are the ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they're about to receive royal authority as king for an hour. An hour just means a short period. It doesn't literally mean a one-hour, 60-minute period. Together with the beast, they're of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. Ten, ten horns, ten kings, all to give to power to one dude, or one creature, one whatever. They'll make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. So 10 horns, 10 kings, give power to one. Ultimately, God wins. The same story you read in Daniel is a story uh, we read in Revelation. Um, and I just want you to see, uh, see this parallel. Um, and now a lot of people would argue because so much of the rest of Daniel is talking about the period 60 to 150 BC, it would make, most likely make sense that what Revelation and Daniel are talking about here um, are related to events like at 70 AD because they're closer in time, not related to events uh, today. So that's kind of one of the arguments people make. Um, other things in Daniel we read, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And, and throughout Daniel's uh, prophecies, a week uh, represents seven years. So for a seven-year period, and for half the week, which would be three and a half years, or a times, a times and a half a time, uh, you shall put an end to the sacrifice and offerings. Basically, there's a seven-year period of mess. We read about in Daniel. We read about a seven-year period with the three and a half of extreme mess in Revelation uh, as well. Also in Daniel, we read, this is the end of Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who is 
who is uh, in charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been uh, since there, and never, wait, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, and everyone whose name shall be found written in the book of life. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So at the end, time of great distress, time of great opposition, but everyone whose name is in the book is going to eternal life. What do we read in Revelation? What do you know? The exact same thing. Um, I saw a great white throne and him who, sat on, who was seated on it from his presence Earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. This is the great white throne judgment. If you've ever heard this, uh, that term, this is the passage that this is taken from. And it continues in verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And you'll notice, I want, to, I want you to be really clear to understand how people are judged at the end. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead uh, who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Now, you'll notice this first judgment that you see here is according to what is written in the books. Books being plural. They were judged. uh, and, And I think that God has a record of everything you and I have ever done. And there's an account that each of us um, have to give an account for what we have done here on earth. It's kind of like if your mother uh, leaves, you left home alone, and he says, these are the things you're supposed to do when she comes back. Hey, did your list done, right? There's an accounting that we give, right? And it, this, in, in Revelation, it talks about how everyone will be judged based on, the, on what we've done. But it also talks about a singular book, and that singular book was also mentioned in the book of Daniel, and this is what we read. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, notice the singular book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We each give an account, but what changes our, what settles our eternal destiny, whether we'll be in heaven for eternity or in hell apart from God for eternity, is whether our name is written in the book of life. And our name from Scripture is clearly written in the book of life when you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ, that the God of the universe sent Jesus into the world to live a perfect life, die on a cross for your sins and for my sins, rise from the dead three days later. And when we put our faith in him, our sins past, present, and future are paid for. We have a relationship with God now, and our names are written in the book of life, which means we will spend an eternity with God Uh, in heaven. And again, the theme that we see as Daniel and Revelation just so closely tie um, is that of God wins. What this uh, argument is, a lot of people again will say, well, because Daniel is so close, uh, all his other prophecies, therefore uh, it's got to be uh, it's got to be talking about events in 70 AD, not talking about events today. A lot of people will talk about um, what's called the uh, prophetic valleys or the mountain peaks of prophecy, right? So Daniel's here, right? And he sees Jesus. He sees some of the near-term stuff. And then he sees kind of the antichrist. He sees the end stuff. 
but he misses what's in the valley, right? Because he can't, he can't see down the valley. And this is, we're in a valley now. And so he kind of sees, he sees that. And so that's what a lot of uh, people would hold a premillennial view would, would say about most, uh, about several Old Testament prophecies, okay? Um, but again, big point, God wins. If I look in Matthew, right, and what Jesus says about the end times, he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, he's talking to Jesus, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? Disciples are very clear, like, when's it going to be? What's going to happen? Tell us, tell us, tell us. They're excited, okay? And this is what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, see, no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ. They will lead many astray, and you'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed. This is to take place, but the end is not yet here. Jesus makes it really clear. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to come that say, hey, hey, this is it, this is it, this is it, this is it, this is it. Jesus is like, don't listen to any uh, of them. Immediately after the tribulation, this is skipping forward a whole bunch I talked about the tribulation. Of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather the elect from the four winds, one end of heaven to the other. Um, Here, Jesus is just really clear. When all is said and done, it's going to be really clear that Jesus is returning. You shouldn't listen to anyone who says, oh, this is going to be it. This is it. I'm, it. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. Because Jesus' return is going to be so clear and so evident that there's no debate in it. If you're wondering, is this Jesus? Is this the return of Christ? If there's any doubt in your mind, it's not. It's not Jesus. That's what Jesus' point is. There's going to be problems. There's going to be issues. There's going to be, dip, there's going to be a lot of mess. Don't listen to any of it. Because when I come back, it is going to be so clear and so evident, you will not have any questions in it. Jesus himself says this. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows. And look who doesn't know. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son. Jesus is like, I don't even know this. Only, but only the Father. You know, I was in um, McDonald's, which I am quite frequently the other week, and this guy sees me with the Bible, and, and I kinda, I'm kind of used to it. I kind of know what happens sometimes with these guys. He starts talking to me, but he is 100% convinced that Jesus is either going to return this spring, spring of 2023, or spring of 2024. And he gives me this whole argument of this, that, and the next thing. And I, like, he was talking, and I, to his credit, he knew the Bible. But it, I'm like, did you read what Jesus said? Anyway, um, it's just, yeah. Drives me nuts sometimes. Um, but he, like, there's, there's, everyone is going to come up with their, their ideas and their thoughts um, but that's not, that's not Jesus' point. Jesus is really clear after the disciples say, hey, when's this going to be? He gives them a really clear, this is what you should do. And this is what we read right after these verses that I've already read to you. 
It says in Matthew 24, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. It's like, dude, if I know my house is going to be broken into, I know a thief's coming, I'm ready for it. And Jesus' charge to his disciples about his coming is this. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you don't expect it. The command for you and for me is not to, to, I have every this chart, that chart, and the next chart figured out about the exact events, what's going to happen. Not that we should ignore those things, but the command for you and for me is that we're ready for Jesus' return. Again, if your mom goes out and here's the list of things to do, have you done them? When your mom returns, you don't want to be like, oh yeah, you gave me that list, but here I am playing some more Valorant or playing whatever game I'm, game I'm playing. We want to be ready for Jesus' return, right? And he says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master set over his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Be ready because we know that God wins. The next thing I, I think that, that knowing what should happen in the future should challenge us to do is that we're to tell others. should be really clear. Uh, this is Jesus right before his ascension to heaven. It says this, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, this is the disciples coming with, together with Jesus and Jesus is about to go back to heaven. When they come together, they ask, the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay? Now, they're basically saying, hey, we remember what you said in Matthew. We remember all the Old Testament promises and and this physical kingdom. Uh, Jesus, is this the time? And Jesus' response in verse 7 is, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. He's reiterating what he said in Matthew. Don't ask this question. That's not the right question. That's, God's, that's for God to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's my mission. If I know that heaven is coming... I know that's how the story will end. I'm supposed to be ready about doing what God has told me to do. What has he told me to do? To be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, to tell other people. Um, You know, I would especially encourage you seniors here in this room. As I look back at my time in high school, I would say one of my biggest regrets about my time in high school is I knew a lot of people. I was friends with a lot of people. But a lot of times my mouth was shut about Jesus Christ. You know, I think, and I pray for these guys a lot. Chuck, Tom, Avi. These are three of my buddies in in high school. I invited Tom to one, like a worship and warfare one thing. But other than that, my mouth was generally quiet around them. I still pray for these guys. My time with them after I graduated high school, I really didn't see them much. Hung out with them once or twice since. Uh, and yeah, it, 
it may be awkward, but I would just really encourage you to be bold in initiating spiritual conversations with your friends. Because you don't know how much more time you have with them. Especially you seniors, you may be like, oh, we'll be friends for life. I'll be honest with you. You will see these people probably for the next six months of your life. And after that, the vast majority of them, you will you'll not see unless you decide to go to your 20-year high school reunion. And I would encourage you to be bold in sharing your faith with those around you. Be bold, as you guys have been talking about all fall, be bold to just initiate conversations. I'm not saying that you gotta like, hey, hey, do you know about Jesus right now? Let's pray. You better, you better get this right now, Piazza. Let's go, bro. But just asking him some simple questions. Hey, do you have any spiritual beliefs? What do you think about God? Who do you think Jesus is to you? Pray for those opportunities. Be open to those opportunities. Take those opportunities because God wins. Next challenge I, I think we see from Scripture is that we're to have hope. This is Paul talking in 1 Thessalonians, and they, their church kind of born out of so much opposition to God and his word. And he says this, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. It's like, hey, you see people dying. By falling asleep, he means people who are dead. We're not like the rest of the world who doesn't have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus Christ, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Jesus rose from the dead, and so you rose, you, like they died and they will rise from the dead. That's his, that's his encouragement. I don't stress like the rest of the world because I know there's a resurrection. And skipping ahead to verse 17, he says this, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet uh, uh, in the air, so we'll also be with the Lord. The uh, only reason I highlighted the word caught up um, in Greek, the Greek, uh, which then translated into Latin, um, the Latin Vulgate, which was used for a long time, um, that word caught up is, sounds very similar to the word rapture. That's where the word rapture comes from, the Latin word that's translated caught up there. Um, but th- that, the rapture is, is the dis- is. Um, the view that before the tribulation, primarily before the tribulation, any Christian here on earth will be just teleported, disappear, um, go up uh, with, with the Lord. And that's where this, this passage in 1 Thessalonians is primarily uh, where this comes from. But his point in, in Thessalonians is this, therefore encourage one another with these words. We should have hope. Um, we should have hope. You know, when I'm with with Pastor Francois, um, who, who we work with in uh, Haiti, um, they deal with so much death, pain, mess, tr- problems, and issues all the time there. And he says over and over and over, I was there one time, and this lady had died from a, a basic, man, if she was here in the U.S., she would have been given some um, EpiPen. Um, she had an um, allergic reaction to something and died. And it's just so, matter of fact, it's like, it's sad. This world is not my home. And he says that all the time. This world is not my home because he knows that God wins. And so he has a hope in the middle of mess. And the last thing you see, I want you to see uh, of how I think the, end, the fact that God wins applies to us is this in Second Peter. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Basically everything we see, 
burned, burn, burn, burn. Pyromaniac stream. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening and the coming of the day of God? Knowing that this world's going to burn, knowing all this stuff is going to be consumed, how should I live today? And Peter's command to us is that we should be holy. Just to be really uh, blunt, right? If Jesus returned right now, would I... I'm looking at something on the internet. Would I really want Jesus to return right then? That's his, that's his point. I should live a holy life knowing that Jesus is going to return. You know, there's a lot of other theology out there, a lot of discussions about who the beast is and who the Antichrist is and, you know, is it Putin or New York City or the Pope or whatever. There's a lot of other discussions about the who the unholy trinity, the beast, the dragon, and the false prophet, and all these other things that we, we read about in Revelation. And it's a, it's a confu- there can be some confusion there. But there is a simple and clear truth from all of it. And I'm just going to end, and I hope you see that from what we've talked about today, that you and I are to be ready, we're to tell others, we're to have hope, and we're to be pure, because we know that our God always, always, always wins. And I don't know what mess you're dealing with today. I don't know where you feel hopeless in today. But you know your God wins. I don't know uh, what opportunities will be before you today. I don't know what God has called you to do today. But I know my God always, always wins wins. Let me pray for us. God in heaven, I just, I thank you for that truth that you are the God who wins. I thank you for the truth that you are the God um, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, And God, I pray that we would have a hope because of that. I pray that we would be bold because of that. I pray that we wouldn't shy away um, from, from hard conversations from awkward conversations because we know that you are the God who wins. God, we love you and we're grateful for you. And God, we look forward to the day where there will be people from every nation, every tongue, and every tribe in heaven with you forever. Praising you and thanking you. And God, even as as we close now, uh, in song, Lord God, may our hearts be full of praise and thanks to you. May our, may our hearts be just, God, just so clearly reminded of your goodness. And may this just be a, a short moment reminding us and helping us look forward to the day where we'll worship you forever in heaven. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Stand and worship.